Let's get ready to podcast. <laughs> there we go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. How is it going? I'm here with my uh, good friend, Alex Gore. I'm here with Lance Psycho. I'm not his good friend, apparently. No. <laughs> he, school- he schooled me several times today. Yeah, we were in class today. Um, and uh, no kids were asking. I love questions. So I just asked you questions and schooled you in one of them. Yeah. So yeah. Taught me something new. Yeah. So apparently in Revit, if you didn't know this, if you change the heights of your levels, you can drag your stairs to match the heights. So there we go. Now we all know. Hey, speaking of that, let's go back to the longest cliffhanger ever. So last time uh, we stopped in the middle of the podcast, we said, let's talk about the worst advice ever. And we forgot to come back to it. So this is a story about the worst advice ever. And to catch everybody up, uh, the last episode was we basically just kind of talked about um, us emerging out of the Great Recession, basics of starting a, a, a small business or a small firm, um, and then uh, now that now that we and then how how we establish kind of a platform of work, and so um, we're gonna go into some some horror stories and some really good stories. Yeah. So now now this podcast is gonna be about our first projects. So basically, how we got those projects, how those projects went. The good and the bad. So last time, again, the first episode we got laid off. Second episode, how we started, and not, and now how we're how we're rocking and rolling in a firm. Um, anyways, to jump forward, because I just got to tell this worst advice story. This probably came at least three years, maybe maybe two or three years into the firm. Do you remember? I think one or two years into the firm, um, yeah. Alex. When we when we so, you know, we talked about on the last episode about using Craigslist as uh, kind of our, uh, one of the platforms for how to get work. And the, the, the great thing about it is it's cheap, it's free. And at that point, we could write, we could basically write these little web pages and we could use our images um, and kind of beat out the competition. But the bad thing is, to be completely honest with it, you had to deal with Craigslist people. And there's just no, there's just no polite way to say that. So, you know, you're dealing with just everybody, uh, everybody that you could possibly imagine, good and bad. Yep. And so... One of the, you know, one encounter is that Alex didn't talk about is kind of a bad encounter <laughs> where, the, where the guy really thought he was giving Alex good advice. And I think it's, I think it's a good learning lesson for anybody. Yeah. And Hey, don't be afraid of Craigslist. Um, I think we're even going back to Craigslist. We've gotten, well, some of our worst clients we just fire, get rid of, but honestly, some of our best there's been repeats, huge repeat clients. Huge Absolutely. Repeats. One of our biggest developers, we ended up doing 24 townhomes with him. Now we're kind of one of his re- reoccurring clients. He, that's originally where he got us from. Um, if you go look on our website and you go look at the Golden Duplex project, that was that was directly off yep. of Craigslist. And then the one, the Boulder House remodel. So he initially found you on Craigslist. Did yeah. you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah. Did so you go like, dig up the emails or something? Is no, that no, he goes, he goes, yeah, about four years ago, I found you on Craigslist. And then it didn't work out. And then a couple years ago, we did re- renderings for... Um, Trimble headquarters. Oh, the new the new Boulder client. Yeah, yeah. And then and then he goes and then I saw that and I was like I remember those guys. So I went and looked you guys up again. Um, and then when he was gonna do his remodel, he just he just knew us and, and gave us a call. Yeah, just so. just be cognizant of whatever you're advertising on. I think you're going to attract different clientele. Um, and so just yeah. know that like I think Craigslist you're gonna attract a volume, which is good because that's what we're volume based. But with volume comes, you know, everybody. So you got to weed through it. That's all. Yep. So I was talking to this guy and he said, hey, can you do some just drafting for me? It was for a commercial building, something like that. And I go, sure. 
um, I can, and we were talking about price. So I said, we're $40 an hour. So this must've been in our first couple of years. Yeah. Um, and I, we did the math. So we've raised our prices on an average of $3.5 a year. Um, just in case anyone was, was wondering, which, which pretty much equals inflation. Yeah. So it's not too bad. And he said, he goes, Oh, that's too much. That's too much. And they'll say that sometimes. And just know if, if you're busy with work, you just don't have to take the work, which is totally fine. He goes, I got an, uh, I got some advice for you. And <laughs> let me give you some advice, yeah. Alex. You know how that always, I, I swear, if you ever mutter that sentence, just know you're not coming across the way you think you're coming across. So <laughs> that's like, that's like when you start out a sentence saying, uh, I'm, I don't, I'm not racist, but yeah, 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 yeah. Or, Hey, I'm not pointing fingers, but, but yeah, you're pointing fingers. <laughs> you are definitely being racist, pointing fingers. And your advice is unsolicited. Um, Lance loves unsolicited advice. Oh, I would encourage all Go on his Facebook. Yep. My personal page. Just dish it out. Find his email. Yep. Dish it out. He loves it. It's the greatest. He goes, okay, what you do? <laughs> Again, the attitude. Like, okay, tell, tell me how to. <laughs> Was this in a phone call too? Yeah. Oh, okay. It wasn't yep. written. Got it. Yep. He goes, because I remember his voice and he said this. He's like, what you do is you charge $20 an hour. <laughs> and then... You do a really good job and you look like the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> and in my head, I don't know what I said back to him, but I was hopefully very professional and say, Hey, I'm sorry. Right now we're at $40 an hour. We can't do that. I, I think it was actually something like yeah. that. But in my head, I thought, Holy cow, you mean I get the opportunity <laughs> <laughs> to cut my prices in half when I have consistent work at $40 an hour. So that I can do $20 an hour of work. And then maybe in a year, I can raise my prices $3.50. And then it will take, I don't even know the math. How many years would that take to get back up to 40? Seven? Six? Seven. Five point, six point five or something like 5. that. 5.5. Yeah. 5. Yeah. Someone do the math. Anyways, so then in five years, I can be exactly where I am now. That is the worst uh, advice. Alex, what you're forgetting I, is. I, what you're for, well, again, what you're forgetting is. You also get to look like the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> I, that's that, that was the thing that threw me off about when that guy said that is. I don't know. How, how, how does that equate to you being the smartest guy in the room? I think it maybe equates to being the cheapest guy in the room. So, cheapest, yeah. And I could see how it's like, man, because I know developers and we're doing our own development. Um, and in my head, it'd be like, man, that guy does an amazing job and he's cheap. That's doesn't say he's the smartest. It says that guy does an amazing job and he's cheap. Yeah. So then you get categorized into that that cheap phase. And I personally, well, I mean, I think Alex would agree with this too, is that we like to be... Man, those guys do an amazing job, and they're totally reasonable. They're totally reasonable. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. The the uh, if we were not volume based, I think we could be unreasonable, right? But then at the end of the day, like I think it risks. We kind of we're limiting ourselves clientele. We're, we're we're taking a huge risk, and you know we have we have guys we have to look out for to keep everybody going and eating well. And I think you at the end of the day you'd run your risk of if one of those big meat eating clients comes and goes, you're finished. Yeah. Yep. And then I know from developers, they say, Hey, I, I love this contractor, or this contractor, and we're talking about subs essentially, but I know from these developers, you know, we are also in that same vein of subs. Like we aren't treated like subs we're professionals, but they know different architects, engineers and like, Oh yeah, they're great, but they're expensive. So their rationale is, Hey, if I have enough money, I'll use them because they're great. But if I don't, I'm not going to use them. So like, that's where you run the risk. And that's why we try to be in this. What do you, what do you think minute. he was trying to get at about the smartness? Do you think there was anything to that? Like, this is, 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 is there any rationale with that really? That you I'm going to make up. Okay, great. My analysis, which my analysis is, is always, always spot, spot on. on, spot on. 
is that I think he likes to tell people what to do. And I think he likes to think that it's really smart advice. So then he projects that onto you. Like you want to be the smartest guy in the room. Listen to how smart this is. You know, that's where I think it's coming from like an internal, like uh, self-justification, you know, his, his own ego. He probably thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. Yeah. So like he has to give this advice. I wonder what that guy's doing still. I, I, don't I always wonder about people like that. Yeah. Like, are these people still employed? You know, are they, you know, did they just, where were they at? Where were they at with that kind of thinking? Has it panned out for them? Who I don't Who have cares? time to look them up or right. else, else I might. Yeah. God, <laughs> I do kind of want to call them now. Yeah. So what, what's your conclusion with that story? Do you have a, do you have a, little... Oh, my conclusion with that story is not all advice should be taken. Some advice should be just trashed in the way, the wayside. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow you got to have a filter. Yeah. for that i think right and i think so like what was what do you think your filter was for that do you think your filter was just the principle of i'm not going lower than 40 dollars because it does not make financial sense you know even if he didn't say you're the smartest guy in the room and he's you know trying to push you down to 20 and stuff like that i i think the rationale was just based off of reason and, and fundamentals if right now i am currently booked out at 40 dollars an hour there is no rational reason for me to go down to 20 dollars an hour even when you'd be smarter even when i'd be smarter <laughs> Even when I'd be smarter. When, you know what? Speaking of that, speaking of cutting fees and doing free work, that leads right into our first story. Um, the Golden Duplex. So the Golden Duplex was the first house that Lance and I got together. Do you want to start there? Or do you want to start at one of the other stories? No, you can do it, Timmy. Sure, we can do that. Yeah. Uh, I know. We, I mean, you jumped ahead. Yeah, actually, so that's a teaser. That is a teaser. Alex was supposed to talk about his very first commission ever. Uh, Gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. And so just to preface, <clears throat> uh, remember, you know, we're, we're doing BIM work. We're doing work with uh, Arcat. We're doing work with Sumex Design out of, of New Hampshire. And that's kind of the bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a we had a very large house that we were doing, and we're going to talk about that too, uh, down in Colorado Springs. And then we also had... Um, we also had a clinic that we teamed up with, with actually a licensed architect, because at this point we're, we're still on license. But in the meanwhile... Alex had his set of ads he put out, and then I had my set of ads put out. And one of the one of the first projects that Alex got ended up being in Boulder off of off of a Craigslist ad. Yep. So off of a Craigslist ad, I come down from Colorado, sick of living Minnesota. With, come from Minnesota. From Minnesota, love living with my mom and dad, but could only do that for a short period of time. Uh, move down around Memorial Weekend, and then I take that off to run the Boulder Boulder. And you tell me years later that that freaked you out <laughs> that I took off Memorial Day. Oh yeah. That you took off for Memorial Day? Yeah. What do you mean? That I freaked That out? I ran the Boulder Boulder. You're like, we're just starting a firm. You're like three years later, you told me that that freaked you out. Did I? Yeah. That you would that you would take a day off right away. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a little <laughs> freaky. I mean, because, I, well, I probably, I had kids underneath me too, right? So like I was- Still in like, gotta hunt. Gotta hunt. Gotta, gotta hunt. hunt. Gotta protect. Gotta make sure everybody's fed. So, yep. So anyway, I was also freaked out because if anybody ever decides to move down to Colorado, here's a little word of advice, uh, some unsolicited advice for you guys. Uh, it takes you about a year to get your lungs to get used to it. You get acclimated, right? For the first year, you'll drink a ton of water, a ridiculous amount of water, like way too much water. You cannot, you cannot quench your thirst. And then it does take about a year for you to not walk up a flight of stairs and be out of breath because you're, you know, a mile above sea level. Yep. Yep. So then. I don't know how much of a tangent. Just because you live in Colorado also doesn't mean that you're super healthy, which people think. Oh, do they? Because I trained for a half marathon before I came down here. Oh. 
Then I did no training because we were running the firm that whole summer. Flew back to Minnesota to run a half marathon. I thought, I'm from Colorado. It's higher. I'll be just fine. Yeah. So dumb. I will never run a half mile again. Just, half just because you were going down to sea level. Yeah. Again. I was like, this will be easy. Piece <laughs> of cake. <laughs> so I set up my Craigslist ad and uh, someone responds and says, hey, we have a commercial project for you. So I inquire, you know, hey, what is this commercial project? And lo and behold, it's a grow room for marijuana, right? So me coming from the Midwest and also New York and actually back in 2010, like this was not prevalent. Like this is not something that other people deal with. And if you're from these other states, it's it's probably... It freaks you out, I think, number one. Um, so 2010, medical marijuana was legal in Colorado, but 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 they were just starting to do these grow operations in dispensaries. Yeah. Um, so when, you know, and Alex, like this was a kind of a new archetype really. And on top of that, it's also a commercial project and we, we didn't want to team up with my old firm again. So we actually had to go out and find an architect that we could work with a licensed architect. Yep. So we found a mentor and how I found a mentor is I would go to these, uh, meetups down in Denver and I met a lighting engineer. And then I was saying, hey, I need an architecture mentor, stuff like that. And she said, hey, you should, you should meet Jerry Boland. So shout out Jerry Boland. Uh, he works in Denver. He's been our mentor for, you know, seven years. Mentor and now very, very good friend. Yeah, he is awesome. He's amazing. We call him, we call him Grandpa, Grandpa Jerry. Yeah, yeah. Grandpa Jerry. Um, <laughs> Jerry, we're going to have you babysit Atlas here in a little bit. We'll come to Denver. Uh, just, just giving you a heads up through our podcast. Um, so Jerry's amazing. Met him, you know, have been working... For years, for years with him. So I go to this meeting, and I think Jerry was there too. I can't remember yeah, if he, he... No, he met you. He yeah. met, he met yeah, you yeah. with the clients, yep. Yep. Um, and then our rule, our rule was we turned around contracts in 24 hours. Yeah. Right? For everybody who's listening, write this down. That That is a number one rule. And some... I've had a few clients lately say they don't they don't really care. But more more often than not, they are they are thoroughly impressed that we get back done yep. within twenty four hours. And it, I think I think our outside observation about other architects and other engineers, especially engineers, God bless them, is that it takes about a week for them to turn around something. I mean, sometimes just emails. And so that twenty four hour idea permeates all the way throughout what we do. Yep. Uh, just got a, a contact information about doing some. They said, "Hey, we're on a tight deadline. We need some quick work." I saw it in my Gmail. It was two minutes old. I, I immediately gave him a call. He's like, wow, that was quick. It's like, I didn't say this, but yeah, you needed work right away. You know, you came to call, uh, called you right away. Think about that from your own perspective, right? So if you are hiring a, a painter, an electrician, someone to come test a radon in your house to see if you have mold or whatever, right? The principle is you get three, three bids, right? But what's crazy is that a lot of times what you realize is that you don't want to deal with it. You're busy, whatever. People are late. Is that if the first one is a reasonable bid, you know, if you have in your head like, oh, this this testing should only cost 120 bucks, and they come back at 135, and the other people haven't got back to you, and you're worried because, hey, is there uh, mold in my house that's poisoning my baby? You're just gonna go with that guy. Like you're you're gonna not go with the principle of waiting to get three bids and. Oh, what if one came in at 120? Like, ah, who cares? You did know, 10 bucks. This guy's quick, responsive, good to go. So think about it in your own life because I bet you you've done something like that. You just went with the the first guy. And I'm not, and, and maybe like if it was major, major decisions, right? That's the difference. And maybe an architect is a major decision. But think about some of these people. They might be super busy. They might be stressed. They might 
do whatever. And they're like, man, I just, I just need an architect. I just, could they just please do this? I, I don't want to deal with this. And if you are responsive and quick and in the ballpark, you'd be surprised at how much you'd, you'd get work, which leads into this. So I turn it around, get the job, um, you know, perform a good job. And then after it was all done, you know, they, they built it up, uh, about a couple months later, I said, Hey, I just, just curious, where did we fall in the price line? And then why did, why did we get the job? He's like, Oh, you guys were in the middle. I go, why did you go with us? Because like, you know, basically I was the lead. Um, I go, we were young, uh, no, no experience ever doing any of these, right? Yep. hundred percent. Very inexperienced. And it was the recession. So obviously, like we said, this was not even a month after 40 people replied to our cabin thing yeah. within three days. Yeah. So obviously they had plenty of choices to go from. And he said, well, you were the quickest. And I was like, wow, that's a shock. <laughs> you were, because I thought everyone, you were the most professional and, and literally by most professional, just meaning like, I don't know, I wore a dress up shirt, was professional. My emails responded, you know, great. And then he goes, and in the end you over delivered. And it was such a mind shock to me because I thought those are such fundamental principles. How, how can anybody overlook that stuff? How, how are people not that doing that? And I think the, one of the big lessons of, of today is you'd be shocked at how many people probably aren't doing that. Still. Still. Absolutely. And you know, it, it, I, I, I am not shocked because we still, we still, we, you know, when we, now that we're, now that we're fully licensed and, you know, we go after bigger projects and, and we have to have engineers, um, under our umbrella contract, right? So like structural, mechanical, all those people, we go out and solicit bids from them in quotes. And I can't believe that we're still having to beat down doors, you know, for them to like, Hey, I, I contacted you yesterday. You know, there was one mechanic, there was one engineer that I just, we might do a clinic with a dental clinic. I had the first, I emailed him and I saw that he opened the email cause we use an email tracker. Yep. And then yes, where, yeah, yes, where totally recommend it. Especially if you're, if you're in the sales part of, of running a small business, we're sponsored by yes, where they will send us checks. It's <laughs> 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 a message. So emailed him, saw that he opened the email an hour later. Uh, I understand other people are busy, but at least like an acknowledgement, you know, within 24 hours would be good. Nothing. So then I called him at the end of the day, nothing. And then I had to call him in the morning. Then he finally responded back to my email. Even, even if you can't respond with a quote, just saying, Hey, I got your email. Uh, it's on my list. You should, you know, even if you say, I'll give it to you within two days, because if you do that within the first day, within the first hour, what that puts in that person's head is if you didn't say that, okay. All of a sudden you get, you know, let's say I'm soliciting, right? So I send out three and two of them I don't hear back from the next day and one I hear back from, okay? That guy is higher on my radar. Other scenario, I send out three proposals, you know, requests for proposals. One gets back to me that day and says, hey, I'll have it in two days. One gets back the next day and one never gets back. Well, when that other one gets back the next day, I still have in my head like, oh, tomorrow I'm going to get this other bid, so I might as well wait. It's not, you are eliminating uncertainty. Yeah. That's one of your goals is to eliminate uncertainty. Um, so when we talked about last podcast, hey, put out a Craigslist ad. Now on top of that, respond to your, <laughs> respond to your Craigslist ad. Uh, and, and I get I upset. I forgot that engineer that I was talking to earlier. Mm-hmm. He, I think it was the end of day what day is it Thursday under the day Tuesday or Monday morning I got that email and yesterday I just spaced out and I felt I just feel terrible if I don't get back you know so it was 24 hours and like you know it was like oh yeah and by all means we're not perfect I have missed meetings and 
literally had people hang up on me. Uh, last summer, I missed a meeting. Yeah. And and not to get too tangential, but I was driving in the car, and I and I scheduled the meeting while I was driving. Terrible idea. And then I got back to the office, forgot to put it in my calendar. Then he called me and said, hey, we went out of our way to schedule this and this, this so we could meet with you at our house to do all this work. And then I couldn't meet with him, and I got a very, very angry phone call and stuff like that. So... But if you can, if you can at least do it ninety five percent of the time, I yeah. think you're I think you're in good shape. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that's that that's that first story and that first lesson. Um, and then the first the first uh, oh okay so so we, we talked about we talked about the boulder boulder medical marijuana thing. Yeah. Um, those are both I think you know there's a bad advice story that Alex started with, and then there's there's the good advice story about these fundamental things. And then I think at the end of the day, you're going to run into clients that. You just can never please no matter what. And I think a lot of them, <clears throat> so one of the first, and I had mentioned this earlier, one of the first big projects we got, it was a, it was a house that was over 10,000 square feet. It was, it was just massive house down in Colorado Springs. And you got that before I even came in. Yeah, that was, that was part of, um, it was, it was kind of a connection through a friend and actually the contractor ended up hiring us. And in hindsight now, I think we, we try to avoid that. And just try to work directly with the client if we can and get a contract secured with them. The, but the great thing about this was is that um, after it was all said and done, it was good that we didn't have a contract. So, so it, was this, it was this huge house down in Colorado Springs. And when I, when I started working on it, um, by the time Alex got down, I'd been working on it for maybe six months. Uh, just on an hourly rate, a pretty good hourly rate. Wow, six months already. I think it was already six months. And, you know, they were talking about doing crazy stuff like a big, like a big basketball gym. They had a, they had like three or four kids. So a bunch of kids, this huge family guy was a doctor, anesthesiologist or something like that. And they could never make up their minds. What would happen was, and we did, we had zero control over the project. Um, so what would happen was I'd, I'd send a set of drawings out and then they would go print them out or do something like that. And the guy was kind of neurotic. Like he would, he would spend all night literally not sleeping and just change everything cut and paste and do like you know open stuff up in like microsoft paint and and just literally start painting over all of our drawings and stuff like that and totally change stuff around and for the first iterations i thought oh this is this is this is pretty normal because i'd worked in a residential firm before this and now it seemed pretty normal but after a while it started to get really kooky and and i even started talking to the contractors you know like hey is this do you you think this is kind of going off the rails and stuff like that the guy wanted to do a he, you know, he was in an HOA where it basically had to be like this Tuscan style house. But at the end, at the end of the, you know, he always came back to like, well, I just really like modern. And it's like, well, should, you know, we are so experienced. Like, I don't think we had the cojones to be able to go and just tell a client, like, it's not going to happen. It's, it's just not going to, you're not going to get away with this. Yeah. And we can go through the motions all day long, but at the end of the day, we're not going to do this modern thing. So I got so sick of it. But by the time Alex got here, it became his baby. And there was big enough fees where Alex could then train, get like, sort of train himself on Revit and learn Revit yeah. while he was doing that. You know what? That, uh, so we, we train everyone that comes to our firm. But I also think it's very helpful if they start mid-project because then they can just follow the system that's already been established. So I was in on a meeting um, and then it got transferred over to me. And then the same thing happened. Just repeat after repeat after repeat after repeat um with no contract and then somehow which was good and bad because it was open-ended 
I mean, we thought we thought, well, they, I mean, they're just going to keep burning money. And at the end of the day, then finally, you know, he the guy sits down and looks at all the bills and and gets really really pissed. Well, and it was that, and then also what what we're trying to establish is that you can establish a pattern of how people think by how they're giving you reviews and red lines like okay hey let's change this this and and if if there's never any logical system and if there isn't like a reduction of scope you know the first or second or third time might be like oh let's try a different direction because you know they're just exploring they want it they see something new it, it might be fun for them but it, if if they don't if, if it's fifth sixth seventh and like it's always like a total redo there's there's going to be something off because there was the, the other Boulder client that did the same thing. And I'll just really briefly, he'd call me up at night and say, I want something super modern, super sexy, super sleek, all this. So I would do that. Um, and we even, even talk after hours, you know, it'd be like seven, eight, nine o'clock. And then the next day he'd be like two days later, why isn't this traditional? Why isn't this whatever? And we, like, we actually ended up finding out like, the client that Alex is talking about, not the one that's Colorado Springs. We, we think the guy was just kind of a drunk at the end of the day. Yeah. So he'd drink at night and then say words like sexy, modern, all that. And then during the day, he'd think resale value, traditional, all that stuff. And I remember I'd be on the phone. He's like, how do you think this is what I would want? I'm like, because you use the word slick, sexy, and modern. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, so be wary of that thought process of never getting to any sort of conclusion. Yeah. And no, and no matter how much you're starving, I think if you can find a, a good cutoff point, it, it's okay to fire clients. At the end of the day, they're little marriages. I've always said that. I think every single contract that we go into, um, I tell, I, you know, if we really have to sell ourselves, I say, Hey, at the end of the day, I understand that this is basically a mini marriage and that we're coming to like a contractual, we're coming to a binding agreement. Yep. And we have to work together. And it really is a marriage in the sense that sometimes we're like the third wheel. I mean, a lot of times when you're doing residential, it's a husband and a wife or a partner and a partner. And there's bickering back and forth. And you're kind of like the mediator at the end of the day. Yep. I like your recent clients where you say, I'm not going to get in between you two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. As they're a, friends and they're great. But it, I, I think it's funny because it, it is like you're almost like a they don't have problems, but it's like you're a therapist. Like, I don't know. You guys decide. Yeah, you, guys. you guys decide. Exactly. Um, so then this client, the one we're initially talking about, went to a home show. So a parade of oh, homes. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah. Yep. And he saw, he walked into one of the, the, you know, many houses and decided that he wanted that plan. So then in his head, like, okay. And I would like to follow up. Do you know if you ever built that plan, that house? Do you know what? I have no idea whatever happened. Uh, I wonder. So anyways, he wants that plan. And then all of a sudden, he he wants all of his money back, basically. So he has his lawyer write up an email and says, I've spent X amount of dollars. Let's just say 16000 Yeah. Okay. I spent $16,000, and he had another architect look at the plans. And he said, these aren't even 10% done or something like yeah, that? Yeah. These are at like a... 10%, 10% level of being complete. Yep. And who knows which version, As uh, that's one of the per points about telling all about the version. This could have been version 24. And and in our minds, we haven't got past schematic design. We really have not got past schematic design. Exactly. So so thus, he wanted um, 16,000 minus 1,600. He wanted 14,000. I think he wanted five grand back is at the end of the day. No, it was way more than that. Was it really? He wanted the difference. Oh, he wanted the difference. oh that's right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So yeah, say he it was wanted 16. Like, 
Yep. And then of course, because it's just Lance and I like <laughs> that money has been spent and one it's, it's, it's time. So like we obviously did not have any, any of that money to give back. And two, this other architect, we were actually very upset and thought that he was extremely unprofessional because if you spend eight to 10 months redoing schematic design, yes, it might look like it's only 10% done, but that's because we keep redoing that 10%. We keep redoing that 10% times 50 times. Times 50. So uh, don't be unprofessional like that if you don't know the backstory. Maybe the guy paid him like $500 to do this letter or to review well, it or what whatever. Th- but well, like we, that, we actually went and looked up this architect and we found out that he and this lawyer are constantly in cahoots. So this lawyer basically goes to this architect and uses him to litigate against other architects. Really? You know, we we got accused of being we got accused of ho- holding ourselves out as licensed architects um, over and over again and stuff like that. Yep. And then we ended up having to get our own get a lawyer ourselves to write a five hundred dollar letter on our behalf. Eight hundred. Eight. Oh, it was eight hundred. Yep. Because we even got a cease and desist order from Dora, um, the Department of Regulate Regulatory Authorities or something like that. And yep. and to make to, to make it very clear, we we have never held ourselves out as licensed architects until until we until were, we were licensed architects. Yep. We even went so far as in the response to Dora to cite a portion in our contract that says client recognizes that Lance Psycho and Alex Gore are not licensed architects and do not display themselves. And, and so Dora reviewed our case and they came back to us and said, oh, yeah, you, you guys are good. You guys are good. And we had the, the contractor wrote a letter um, saying that we the best line, we are a credit to um, the industry. Remember that? Yeah. Excuse me. So... Uh, we were very surprised that Dora was extremely reasonable. Like they were just like, oh, oh, it's yeah. it scared the living daylight out of me. Good yeah. lord, it scared the crap out of me. And I kind of had a, I had a sinking feeling once, uh, once we got the, I think once we got the first letter back from this client demanding all this money, that we were going to get something in the mail that was going to say cease and desist. And I, I remember getting it, coming up to the apartment slash the office at that time. And, and showing you, and then we we're just, it was like panic attack, right? Yeah. The lesson, the big lesson that I took, and I, Alex did too from that one, was research your clients 100%. Whoever, whoever your clients are, go, I mean, maybe you have another good uh, point. point about this, but for me, it was research your clients. Uh, social media is everywhere. Go to LinkedIn. Just do a general Google search and see if they are litigious because... You, at the end of the day, if, if you're a practicing architect or even just a, a designer um, or a business owner in general, you have a high liability for everything that you do. Yep. And then also know what you can and cannot do. So if you are yeah. not a licensed architect, you can do residential houses. It's no big deal. In Colorado. To, in Colorado, in Minnesota, probably, right? In North Dakota, probably too. Yeah. Probably a lot of states. So you'll just have to know. And actually, we think even, you know, Lance is licensed. I'm not yet. Um, we think that that's... You should be able to. It's it's America. It's a house. Um, it it should be a basic part of freedom. You know that that it's it, the American dream. I think you squash the American dream. I've said it over and over again. If you if you deny yeah. somebody who owns a piece of land to build their own house in whatever way they deem necessary, while they're main while they're being within the codes. Yep. If you deny that, I think it's anti-American. Yep. And then know that you can actually do commercial buildings up to. Uh, I'm going to say the numbers. You'll have to look this up to see if I'm correct, but isn't it 13,000 square feet, one story commercial structure? Um, remember that? Yeah. And then in Colorado, it's just got to be an engineer that ultimately signs off on it and stuff like that. Yep. Jonathan Segal, one of our, uh, not the actor, not the crazy actor, but the really awesome architect out of 
San Diego, he goes on and on about like, maybe you shouldn't even be licensed. And this is getting tangential, but like, maybe you shouldn't even be licensed. Maybe you should just have all the engineers sign off on on your stuff because there's so much liability on you as he keeps pointing to that. Yeah. And yet he's licensed and a fellow of the AIA and his son's going to be licensed and all this stuff. But yeah, but he makes a good point. But, but he's a fellow and he still says that. And he still craps on the AIA hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hilarious. Um, and then, and then just know that there is, there is this, uh, there is this weird spot. There is this very weird spot about uh, people that design and do this stuff that aren't architects, right? Um, and even it gets so crazy that the word the word gets so crazy and protectionist that um, who uh, Norman Foster Myers these you know British French architects, right? There's even talk about oh you can't call them architects in America because they aren't yeah. licensed here. And the yeah. same thing like Liebskin isn't l- licensed in the UK, so there's a big thing like you can't call him an architect. And from a normal, rational person, you're like, "What?" <laughs> like it, it was, it was actually really awkward until we, until we, until I got licensed, because we couldn't. Uh, people would call us architects, and then like, mm, should we correct them? Should we not correct them? And this is also the weird part because it actually came down. There was a ruling. There was a person running for oh, mayor in Colorado. That's right, Aspen. I think mm-hmm. it might have been Vale, but I think it was Aspen. And he, you know, like, hey. Hire me as a mayor. I'm I'm an architect. Blah blah blah. Right? Or you know, and apparently like he did stuff that would you'd think that he's an architect. So someone went up and looked, and he wasn't a licensed architect. So they had they went to court, and the court ruling essentially was that if you are going to do like uh, a building, commercial work, stuff like that, and if you say you're an architect and you're not, that's when you get in trouble. If you're using it in the general sense, you know, there's like what software architect stuff like that. Um, and even like um, casual conversation was the big thing. Casual conversation or, or public public decorum. If you're just calling yourself an architect, but you're not saying you're not tying it to a specific building and and you're not trying to go after work. Yeah, because this is where it gets weird, because we, before we were architects, this one project, Tim uh, was a developer. His kid would come out and Tim's like, hey, yeah, here are the architects. You know, you're not going to go, no, we're not the architects. We are just going to design. Especially yeah. after you maybe you went to school like we did. You have a master's of architecture behind your name. It's like, yeah. what? It, it gets very weird correcting people in, in when you're not in your business setting. And they're like, hey, yeah, my friend, you know, Al Gore is an architect. Well, actually, technically not. It's what I do. I own an architecture <laughs> firm. And I'm a principal. I'm a design builder. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so know that that's another rule. Like you can make it clear when you're doing professional stuff. Um, and I'm not trying to get at any sort of legal advice, but just know it, it's kind of this weird. It's in. It's. No, no, I feel no, like it's no, very weird. Know what you know. Know when to say it. When not to say it. And know all the parameters of what you can and cannot do, no matter what kind of business you're doing. I think do do your research, do your homework. It doesn't take it doesn't take more than an hour to, to get it done. And then ultimately, I think research your clients to the best of your ability. See yep. see if there's been litigious stuff. See see if it, there's weirdness. I mean, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if you market on the internet, you have to. I think there's no choice. But it's so weird too because there's two clients that are really good that we found out later that they have had legal action against them and actually been like gotten in trouble by the law, and they're great. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, honestly, honestly, yeah. One got in giant trouble and 
I mean, just all over Colorado newspapers, and then he's he's a great guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's amazing. He's really a great guy, easy to work with, not, never complains about additional services, and just kind of, Alex has sort of convinced him now that, you know, he, he knows what the hell he's doing, too, and so he just trusts your designs and stuff like that. So, good stuff. Anyway, so, uh, next. So, the next project we're going to talk about, you, you might have heard conversations, should you ever do free work? What extent should you do free work? And, and our initial idea was to never do free work. Um, and our current idea is never to do free work. Yeah. Uh, but we did free work. But, <laughs> but we did free work. So this one developer um, comes up and basically he has a plot. And it has the existing foundations in it. He picked it up for $40,000. I remember the exact figure. Yeah, me too. Uh, and the foundation was already done. The reason why nothing was built on it is because the Great Recession happened. So this guy came in and just bought it up with cash. Yep, and his idea—he um, he, he gave us the floor plans for the existing, you know, what what was supposed to be built there. And basically, it had uh, a stair right in the center, and then three rooms, kind of like a T. So picture the the stair as the T, and then two wings on the side, and then one on the bottom of the T. So very cut up. So a kitchen on one side, a living room on the other side. And think, a dining. Of, think of your average. 1980s duplex that is all boxed in yep all boxed in and cut up so we're like this is this is terrible i'm like we can absolutely do something for it and if you want to see the results i think it's on it's the golden duplex on f9 productions right in the selected work page yeah yeah do we have the floor plans because i think the floor plans are great i don't think we have floor plans but they're <coughs> they are phenomenal floor plans yep um and again we we are young and, and he was kind of unconvinced um so he says hey can you just show me what you're thinking as a matter of fact he was so unconvinced by another architect who said you are going to pay for it on the back end if you hire these guys with no experience because in yep. this case we were the lowest bid yep yep so we did a couple sketchup models showed him what we were thinking and he liked it so he was on the hook he's like i really really want to go with you guys um but and then he's on the phone and lance is pacing around pacing around my apartment on i'm the phone, on the phone on, being the salesman yep, yep on speaker and uh because we were excited about it because it was modern. What we showed him was something really cool. Modern, and it would have actually been like the true, besides the, that medical marijuana dispensary that Alex did, it would have been the first true, like, us, Alex and I, joining forces again as far as one project goes. And collaborating. Yeah. So it was our first collaboration design in the real world. And 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 Lance is just getting this pushback, this pushback, this pushback. I don't know, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. know. And he's like, yeah, you know, experience, all this stuff. And I go, I go, Lance, I, wish, I go, I go, tell him about I your construction experience. What Alex, what Alex will do sometimes, either we'll be, both be on Gchat, and he will chat me if I'm on the phone with a client for me to say something, or run over to my desk, or I'll do it to him, and I'll scribble, we'll scribble something down, like one word, and then I'll be like, oh, that's what I'm going to talk about. Good idea. Yeah. So Lance goes, Lance goes, by the age of 15, you know, I was working in construction. I was working for the Rockefellers. I was building this cabinet. and just goes on this list, and then he goes, okay, 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 you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did do that, didn't he? <laughs> so I was, like, I was like, perfect. I was like, tell him. Tell him. Tell him construction. <laughs> it was literally like, I think he said like hammer and nails or something when he wrote it down. Yeah. Talk about your construction experience. Yep. Um, so it turned out, and what was great is that, for some reason, it took so long to get done. Like it was one of our first designs, but yet it still took two or three years to get built. Um, and he did not regret it on the back end. He made a, a bunch of money on it. He's doing great. He's a great guy. Uh, still our friend. So it worked out. It did work out. So free work, free work. I think 
it's okay to do it within maybe limits. How about that? Like you should at least, if you go in to do free work, I think our, our, what we said, when we said when we were going to actually do some free work was we're only going to spend a day on this. That's it. That's all we're going to do it. We're going to throw one day of billable time at it and then we're, we're calling it quits at that. So, so I think knowing your limits and setting up some kind of principles. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about free work and uh, design competitions? Go ahead. Our philosophy on that. So that leads to, because there's a lot of fir- firms, Norman Foster, I think big, uh, but other firms that have gotten catapulted because they won a competition. And so you might think like, oh, I'll do that now and win a competition. And then I'll be the next Norman Foster or anything like that. And no, there's a difference in competitions. There's paid competitions. So when I was at Leapskin, some big company paid us a million dollars and five other people to do this one thing and then they'd pick. So it was worth it to those firms because you're literally get paid a million dollars to do it. So it's not that much of a risk. Um, and then there's unpaid. And my view about those right now is that Think about the, the Guggenheim competitions that are going on right now. There's 10,000 entries. And architecture is so subjective. Um, and competitive. And competitive. And there's 10,000 entries because if you get good at computers and Revit, you can show professional level design without knowing how it goes together, where the structure is, whether it's even feasible, right? So then even if you win, there is n- there's no correlation with whether you're going to get the project now. Because... Because it's shifted in demographics. So if you were doing these competitions in the 70s, like you were probably a firm or someone that could do that to the degree that they wanted and then then they'd hire you. I'm just not convinced that these projects, these competitions lead to you to get hired. Um, You could do them just for fun. You could do them for recognition or something like that. I just don't think the odds are in your favor. Or in our favor, maybe I'll just say personally for F nine, you can make your own. If there decision. was, if there was one um, venue where I would say we 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 would maybe still do a free work space, space is a good one. We always we still want to do a space house at some point. Yeah, um, would be I think internal marketing. Um, so internal and external marketing. So every year we try to do at least one one really one fun project and one out of the box project. Um, so. In 2010, we, we did Blake's Tiny House, which ultimately led to Atlas, uh, Atlas the Tiny and House. H- and being on HGTV. HGTV. Another Tiny day. House, Big Living, season one, episode 13. Wow, it's the only thing he ever remembers. And then the second thing is, <laughs> the second second big project we did was, uh, we did um, RevitFurniture.com. So that's a, that's another one. And that ended up being a moneymaker. Yep, we, we did RevitRevit.com. Which he just landed Alex uh, a project overseas and then uh, we did uh, doomsday dwellings so if you go to doomsdaydwellings.com i'm not sure we've ever gotten a commission from it but we did end up getting a seven page spread in modern and denver which is great exposure yep. and and just um to be able to have that like on the mantle that's behind me right now yep you know to show clients when they come in we got in luxury home quarterly because of that we got b1 magazine which is out of vietnam and sometimes we that one hasn't paid like direct you know, I think the, it will eventually. I really think it will. The the tiny house one has because we got on HGTV. The Revit one obviously has because we get clients and referrals and people buy the Revit furniture tutorial pack and all that. Um, but sometimes we always ask clients, hey, how did you hear about us? And a lot of times it's like, we just kind of know about you. We just kind of know about you, yeah. And it that became more prevalent after the modern in Denver too. So I think, I think it's in a, a subtle way. It paid off. Yeah. Yeah. So 
the the only the only free work that I would really advocate at this point is, and here's one idea for anybody to take, and I I think because we haven't figured out how to do it yet, so if anybody has a good idea, is how do you get in front of people that own land, and how do you do a feasibility study for them without them basically knowing that you're doing a feasibility study of what they could develop on it? Um, and Alex is writing next podcast. He wants to talk about that. No, <laughs> that was supposed to be our subtle oh. <laughs> hit where I write something and you just take off. Uh, because what are we doing next podcast? I have no idea. I thought we were just going to go chronologically. Like, what are we, you know, down, so down the line of the if, firm. If we don't come up with something else, uh, I think I'll leave you with a teaser and we might overview getting into design build because I think a lot of architects want to be in design build. Uh, we might go chronologically in some of the other lessons that we learned, but I think it might be powerful to give you where we are in this design build process and how we got there. So either way, uh, tune in next time. Okay. See you next time.